we are on a journey. We are on a journey through the Old Testament, looking at the prophecies, the promises uh, related to the coming of the Messiah, the, the coming of Jesus. And uh, we're on that journey moving toward Christmas, uh, an expectation of, of just a, a wonderful time of reflection and worship that will happen then, but also uh, as a recognition that it didn't just pop up out of nowhere. There is this this promise that pervades, that exists throughout the Old Testament that is uh, so very important to us. Last week, we started by looking in chapter 3 of Genesis, looking at the fall and how God, uh, out of the fall, uh, issued the promise that one day, one would come who would crush the head of the serpent, crush the head of Satan, of sin, and uh, bring a change. And we noted that that one is one of us, that that's part of the emphasis there of that promise, is that he comes from us. He comes from the seed of the woman, that uh, he is uh, connected with us. We are connected with him. And in some ways, we get to participate in the redemption of mankind that God has uh, sought, seen fit to uh, allow us some level of responsibility there um, in terms of uh, sharing our faith, in terms of recognizing our connection with, with Christ, uh, who is our faithful high priest, in terms of, of uh, responding to God's call and God's invitation. Today we move to Genesis chapter 12. And uh, so I'm going to ask you to turn there if you would with me. Um, we're going to look at, at, at a passage that's uh, very familiar. It's the call of Abram. It's, it's the uh, invitation from God to Abram to participate in this work, uh, to move from his, his status um, as a polytheist to a status of one who's committed to God and God alone. Now, where do I get that idea that Abram was a, a polytheist up to this point? I get that from Joshua. In the book of Joshua, uh, toward the end, when Joshua's uh, about to issue that great uh, invitation, choose you this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Uh, he says right there in introducing that, he says, whether you worship the gods your fathers worshipped on the other side of the Euphrates. That can only refer to Abram. And he uses the plural there, which tells us that up to this moment, Abram had other gods. Abram was perhaps confused. Abram was uh, at least a, a product of his time. Let, let's say that at the very least. He was a person who who was living in his time, living in his era, looking at things um, through the lens of the worldview that was present there. But God steps in and identifies himself and invites Abram to participate in this journey, in this revelation, in this communication of, of who he is. And as God issues that invitation, he makes it clear to us, makes it clear to Abram, makes it clear to anyone who read this passage that this promise, this one who's coming, will be for all of us. Now you may think that an odd statement given that this is really the genesis, this is the, the origin of the people of Israel. This is the start of God's covenant with Israel here, with Abram. It'll be further explained in chapter 15 and and played out in subsequent chapters and so forth, um, that God is setting aside this particular people for his purposes. But in the midst of that promise, and, and in the context of the promise itself, 
we see that God really does intend this to be a communication that he is here for everyone. And so it's important for us to, to first of all, kind of get a, a glimpse of the context uh, of the narrative. Chapter 12 falls on the heels of chapter 11. How that works. And chapter 11 is what? Chapter 11 is the story of the Tower of Babel. Okay, again, it's a well-known story. It's a story in which, uh, following the flood, God has given the command to humanity to go out, to fill the earth, and to multiply. That was his command. That was his, his, his desire, his will for mankind coming out of the flood. But what had man decided to do? Man said, you know what? Let's all just stay here together, and let's build a city, and let's build a tower, a tower up to God. And God says, you know what? If I let them get away with that, there will be no end to their disobedience. So I have to put a stop to this. And the text says he came down and he divided their languages, their tongues. Different nations are now forming. Different people groups are now beginning to exist. You've had the challenge of God, the command of God. You've had the disobedience of humanity. You've had God's judgment on that disobedience. But where's the grace? Where's the grace? The grace is right here in chapter 12 as he calls Abram out to be the instrument through which he's going to bring all those nations back together. Through which he's going to, to, to communicate to them that there is one God. There's one Lord. There's one sovereign over us. And that we are beholden to him. And he's going to do that by making a covenant or an agreement with Abram. So let's look here in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 12 to see the genesis of that relationship. It says, The Lord says to Abram, Go out from your land, your relatives, your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through your descendant, through your seed. God suggests here. That is the promise. He is for all of us. But let's look at this in, in just a little bit more detail to, to, to help us better understand exactly what that means for us and, and how that applies to uh, the life of Jesus and how that applies to our walk and our appreciation of him. And what we where we need to start with that discovery is that this is indeed a covenant that God is making here. A covenant was a, a binding agreement. It was a, it was a sacred decision, a sacred commitment between two parties to enter into a relationship. And the covenant here is expressed as, as a component, a part of the promise. And what we need to understand is that covenants are the fine print of the promise. Now, most of us 
don't like fine print, right? You're online, you're downloading something, and inevitably with any uh, group that you unite with, you connect with, what? There's this little thing that pops up, and it says terms of service. And if you scroll through it, you know, there's all sorts of stuff that's in there. And you get, most of us, I won't say all of us, but most of us, we, we do what? We scroll through it until we get to that little checkbox. Yeah, I've read it. And we submit. And we move on. We don't like to read through that, but there's some important information sometimes in there. A few years ago, a Florida insurance company called Square Mouth, uh, they inserted the following language into theirs. It says, we understand that most customers don't actually read contracts or documentation when buying something, but we know the importance of doing so. Therefore, we created the top secret page-to-read campaign in an effort to highlight the importance of reading policy documentation from start to finish. If you email us, if you're the first to email us, with a response here, we will give you $10,000. And a Georgia high school teacher named Donalyn Andrews did just that. She emailed them saying, I, I saw your little notice there in your terms of service. I'm letting you know I've read it. And they paid her $10,000. Now, that company's not alone. But not everybody's that generous, but... We, we do have lots of companies that are, are doing um, some interesting things. Uh, one company uh, uh, put in theirs that um, in order to sign up for Internet with us and to uh, use our service, that they had to check a box agreeing to assign their firstborn child to us for the duration of eternity. Okay. Um, now, they, they explain a little bit later, it's contrary to public policy to sell children in return for free services, but we wanted to put it in there nonetheless. Game Station, a, a, a video game place in uh, England, uh, they put in theirs that, uh, that if you did not uncheck this box, you agreed to grant Game Station a non-transferable option to claim for now and forevermore your immortal soul. It might be important for us to start reading those terms of service, in terms of what companies are, are putting in there, what what they're what they're communicating to us, what they're expressing to us. I'll be honest; I, I probably still won't read it. But there is very much a sense in which the fine print does what it gives you some clarity of expression and direction. And, and exactly what's going on and what you're agreeing to. It helps define terms and, and, and understand and explain the nature of the relationship that you've entered into. And that's what a covenant does in regard to the promise. God's promise is what? He's going to send one to crush the head of the enemy. He's going to send one who is going to rescue us, who's going to deliver us, who's going to save us. What does that mean? What does that look like? How does that play out? What is our responsibility in that? It's the covenants that give us this sort of insight, give us this sort of understanding of, of who it is that we're entering into a relationship with. 
and this covenant, the second in the Bible, the first is with Noah, where God promised never to flood the earth again. This is the second one. This covenant gives us some insight into God as well. Because going into this covenant, going into this agreement that he had with Abram, we realize and we recognize that God knew Israel wasn't going to keep it. When we get to the Mosaic Covenant, which is the next covenant, God knew Israel was not going to be able to keep this agreement. He knew Israel, just like us, wasn't really going to read the terms of service. They check off, yeah, we're good, God. We love you. But they wouldn't follow through. They wouldn't actually practice the things that were there. So if God knows that, and we know he knows that, why is he communicating these things? Why, why enter into a covenant at all when you know the other party's not going to keep it? Well, Paul tells us that part of the reality, part of the relationship, is that the law, the covenants of the Old Testament are what? They're the great teachers. They're the things that help us to ultimately understand our desperate need for God. How do we function with anything? How do we deal with anything if we don't know the rules? My daughter, she, I tell the story all the time, so she's used to it by this point. But my daughter, um, when she was in kindergarten, she was, um, she was chastised by her teacher for doing something. Okay, now you need to understand my daughter. She was, she's the firstborn. She's your typical firstborn. She's type A. She's, she's a perfectionist. She's going to do everything to the best of her ability, those sorts of things. And so any kind of negative knock on her was a serious, serious offense uh, on behalf of whoever, whoever gives it. And so the teacher told her that she was in trouble for doing this thing that she had done. And my daughter says, but you never told me that was not appropriate, that, that was, I was not allowed to do that. You never said that was against the rules. And the teacher was like, I, I don't care. You've broken the rules and you will be punished for that. Now, my daughter also has my temper. And at that point, after explaining to the teacher that she had failed to uh, explain it and still being punished, my daughter explodes. And she begins to communicate to the teacher what an awful, terrible, horrible teacher she is. And that uh, she was not doing her job correctly. And that... Um, she 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 needed she needs needed to move on, okay, and so my daughter gets home with uh, the black stamp, okay. They sent home the daily thing, and there was different colored stamps for each day. If you had a black one, that was a serious day, and there was a note from the teacher explaining this whole thing. And my daughter was like, I, I, "Daddy, Daddy, I don't I don't understand. She didn't tell me it was wrong. How am I supposed to know?" And all I could say is. I don't know, sweetheart. I agree with you, but you know this, these rules are the rules. You know you got to you got to listen to the to the teacher. How do we know what is expected of us if there's no explanation of what's expected of us? And the old covenants, the old laws, the fine print, 
outlines for us the holiness of God, the goodness of God. You, you see that here. You see, you see the love that God has focused here at, at Abram at this point. Notice how many times the second person is you, 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 you. But not you in terms of you do this, it's what? You're going to be blessed this way. Look at the blessings that God outlines for him. The first blessing is right there in verse 1. I'm going to show you. I'm going to direct you. I'm going to be your tour guide to the next stage of your life. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want God's involvement in their life, showing them, directing them into the next stage of their life? That's what God offers Abram here. And he says, what? I'm going to turn you into a great nation. Here you are in your 70s, no children. Guess what? I'm going to give you a ton of descendants. Wow. That's, that's grace. That's grace. A child at this age, at this stage, can only be afforded to grace. It's certainly not Abram's work. Sarah's work is God's intervention. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. The heart of this covenant is God's love for Abram, for his people. But not just Abram and his people. What? All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. My design, my desire, my commitment is to bless everyone. But you also see what? His authority. Abram, I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave everything you know. Does that sound familiar? Doesn't Jesus, during his ministry, say what? Unless a person die to themselves, take up their cross and follow me, they can't be counted among my disciples. And he gives example after example of people who are saying, well, this is more important, or that's more important. Jesus says, uh-uh, leave it all behind, follow me. You see embedded right here in this, in this initial covenant the authority of the Father and the position, his desire, his commitment to be first, to be only. We've talked about the, the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And, and I shared how as a kid, I, 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 I heard that as, as if it were a line. Okay? And God's got to be at the front of the line. Nothing comes before me. But as I grew up and I actually looked at it and, and paid attention to what's there, I, I noticed that literally what it says there, what it says there in the Hebrew is, you shall have no other gods before my face, which is a Hebrew way of saying in my presence, which is a bigger way of saying what? No other gods, period. Just me. And so we see God's authority and, and his centrality in the covenant. We see, we see the cost of following him. Again, here it's leave your family in the New Testament. Jesus says, what? Consider the cost of building a temple. 
and we see the challenge. Go. Go. And again, in the New Testament, Jesus is going to say the same thing. Go. Make disciples. These covenants, there's a consistency in them. There's a, a communication of who God is. A relating of God's connection to us. And so he gives us this covenant. He gave Israel this covenant, even though he knew they wouldn't keep it because he wants us to understand who he is. That he is love. That he is authority. That he comes first. And that he is the one who directs our lives. Second thing that we need to understand about this covenant is that the seed of Abraham that's mentioned here, the text uh, uses uh, um, uh, the phrase um, descendants. The seed of Abraham is also the seed of the woman. They are one and the same. And it's important for us to see here that each part of the promise works in connection with other parts of the promise. The, the, this revelation, this journey that we're on through the Old Testament, looking at the promises of Jesus. Each promise is intertwined. Each promise builds on the previous one. And Paul makes much of this reality here uh, in, in Galatians chapter 3 when he's talking to the church there, a church that, that's struggling with what it takes to be a Christian, a church that is, is seeing things through the lens of, of Judaism and saying because God made this agreement with Abram, because God made this agreement with Moses, because God made this agreement with Israel in their context, that that agreement gets priority. And that you have to enter into that agreement before you can enter into the new agreement through Jesus. That's what's going on there in Galatia. You have to become a Jew first before you can become a Christian. Convert to Judaism, follow the precepts of Judaism, then you can come in and follow Jesus. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. That's not the gospel. And that thoroughly misrepresents what God intended. God wants us to see the covenants connected. God wants us to see the promises all working together. God wants us to see that what he did with Abram was leading to what he's doing among the Gentiles. And so we read in Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 following, You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham, who also had faith. Paul makes it clear that the covenant that God made with Abram here in Genesis 12 is bound together, connected together with the covenant that he would make through Jesus on the cross. Why? Because Jesus 
is the seed that's mentioned here in Genesis 12. He is the seed that's mentioned in Genesis 3. He is the focus, the purpose of history. He is God's plan for rescuing humanity. He is God's communication of who he is so that we might identify with God, so that we might understand God, so that we might respond to God. And in so doing what? Discover who we were made to be. How does that play out on our side? How are we able to participate in this covenant? Well, the answer to that is found right there in that last sentence. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And what we see here is the third aspect of this promise, that there is a threefold way in which the seed will bless the nations. Now, I don't, I don't want to get real technical here with you, but the word blessed here is what's called, in Hebrew, it's called mithal. Okay, if you don't remember that, that's fine. But what's interesting about that type of verb is that it carries different connotations. Okay? Um, I'm not sure exactly how to express this because English really doesn't have this feature in it. But in a lot of foreign languages, the type of verb you use tells you the kind of action that's happening. Okay? The, 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 the kind of things that are going on there. What the word's trying to communicate. And usually... Usually, the, this type of verb is what's called passive. And, and what that communicates, the first thing that this text communicates to us is that somebody else is going to bless the world through Abraham. Okay? They will be blessed through you. Now, the way that's translated, that's the normal way to translate this type of verb. They will be blessed through you. Who's going to bless them? Is it just, oh, I know Abraham, <laughs> such a fortunate person. Is, is that all that, that God's talking about here? I'm, I'm connected to Abraham and his descendants, so good for me? No, he's what? He's saying, I, God, am going to bless the nations through you. Okay. So the first part of our the way the seed is going to bless us, what? Is that God is going to do something significant in the lives of people who respond to the seed. Simple enough, clear enough. That's, that's the basic understanding, I think, of the passage that most of us take away from it. That as we respond appropriately to the seed of Abraham, that is Jesus, that what? That we will be blessed. God's going to bless us. He's going to change us. He's going he's to help us. He's going to transform us. But there's different ways this verb also works. It also works in what's called reflexive. That is, that the person who is being blessed participates in some ways with the action. Right, let me put it this way. Another way to translate this sentence would simply be this. All the peoples on earth will bless themselves through you. 
What does that suggest? That suggests that we play a role. Just as we talked about in Genesis 3, we see here that we play a role in the blessing. He's already kind of implied that before with what? Those who bless you, I will bless. The one who curses you, I will curse. So he's already communicated. He's just bringing it all home here in the sentence too. Our response to the seed plays a role in whether we're blessed or not. And I want you to notice something about what God said, said there about those who bless you. You notice that the blessing is plural and the cursing is singular? You notice that? Those who bless you, I will bless. But the one who curses you, I will curse. That does what? That goes, again, that goes right to the heart of God's relationship with us. God's relationship with humanity. His desire, his desire is to bless many. His desire is to reach the world. Later in the New Testament, it says what? He doesn't desire that any should perish, but that all would come to saving knowledge of Christ. But he realizes not everybody's going to respond. And so he mentions the one. It's a, it's a, it's a relative thing. It's a committed thing. It's a comparative thing. But then you have the middle voice is the third way this expression can be expressed. And similar to the reflexive, this implies or suggests our participation in the work, in the blessing that plays out, but it, it does so in a slightly different way. It's not that we will trigger the blessing, it's that we ourselves are part of the blessing. And again, Paul goes into this in Galatians chapter 3, in verse 26 and following. For through faith you are all what? Sons of God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you all are one in Christ Jesus and you belong to Christ, then you too are Abraham's seed. God chooses, again, to include us in this blessing. He chooses to allow us to participate. We are part of Abraham's seed through the seed that was promised. The promise of Christ to all the world allows all the world to respond. And we see that play out in the book of Acts. If you remember when we started, we said that, that this whole chapter is what? It's response to the Tower of Babel. And at the Tower of Babel, God steps in and he what? He confuses their tongues so that they cannot understand each other. And in so doing, they separate into a variety of nations. Then he calls Abram out, says, through your seed, I'll bring these nations back together. I'll bless the world. And then we jump forward to Acts. And in Acts, what has happened? Jesus 
has died. He's been buried. He's been raised from the grave. He is now ascended into heaven. And he says, what? I'm going to send one after me. And you have all the nations there celebrating Pentecost at the temple. The text says people from nations all over the world are there. There's people from Rome. There's people from, from Ethiopia. There's people from, from Mesopotamia and Persia. There's people from Asia Minor and Turkey. Everybody has come there to worship. They're all Jews, but they're all there from different nations, different tribes, different tongues. And the Holy Spirit moves in and what? It's a reversal of Babel. Whereas at Babel, their tongues were confused. At Pentecost, each one hears in their own language. And this barrier that used to separate into separate nations now what makes what? Makes all these people one church, one body. Through Christ, through his death and the resurrection and the work of the Holy Spirit, all the nations have been brought back together. And that's a foretaste of, of what we'll see in, in eternity. As Revelation tells us what? Every tongue, every tribe, every nation is gathered around the throne singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The promise is for all of us. God has been faithful in carrying out that promise as Christ come and came and changed things and brought back together that which was separate. But that begs the question, how have you responded to this promise? If it is true that we in some ways get to participate in what Christ has done, then question we have to ask is have I participated in that? The invitation's there. God has reached out to us. He's walked amongst us. Have we responded? Have you responded? Have you come to that point in your life where you have surrendered your life to Jesus? And entered into the promise of blessing that God expresses here. And most of us here this morning would answer yes to that. I know you. I know your testimony. I know, I know your journey. But if there's even one here that, that hasn't, I, I have to put forward that invitation to, to come to Christ, to respond to this offer. But to the rest of you, I would say this, this sermon wasn't just about that. The sermon was about, again, understanding God's commitment to give clarity to our relationship. And his call to us, his challenge to us is what? To go and make disciples. Israel messed up. They didn't fulfill in many ways their part of the covenant. But graciously and wonderfully God is faithful. 
to his. But I don't want to be like Israel. I don't want to be unfaithful to God's expectations of me. And I pray, I hope that you don't either. And that today you'll commit to leaving here with a renewed desire to share your faith, to make disciples. To talk to that person who lives next door to you that you've never spoken more than two words to. To pay attention to that person that you're walking next to in the grocery line or whatever who's, who's obviously hurting and needing some hope and some help. And you hold that hope and that help in your hands through your relationship with Jesus. Let's commit today to walking in, in a way that's consistent with the covenant God made with us to make us a new people. A nation of priests, Peter says, here to intercede between God and man. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for each person here. I thank you especially for the promise of your son. The difference he makes, the change, the transformation he offers. That we, a people who were once separated, can find relationship and connection with you. Through the price he paid on the cross and through the victory he won in his resurrection. God, I pray that you move in our midst here this morning that there's decisions, commitments, responses that need to be made. That we would be faithful and obedient to do just that. It's in Christ's name we pray.